Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by guest preacher, Reverend Michael Allen. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture readings today are from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, and from Gospel according to John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. O God, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke 13, verse 1. There were some who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will perish as they did, or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. John 9, verse 1. As Jesus walked along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Well, where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, First Pres. It is my honor, my great delight, and uh, certainly excited to be with you once again uh, this morning. Several years ago, uh, Pastor Ray invited me to preach at another, op- uh, another time when he was uh, away, and uh, it was just fantastic. Of course, that time as was pre-COVID, and we were all in the sanctuary, and and I've been here when Pastor Ray was preaching, and I love your pastor. Uh, we share a lot in common. We're both from the island of Jamaica. And so I've known him now for 10 years or so, shortly after he came to serve here. And, um, and we do have some things that are different. When he preaches, he wears a robe. This is the best the Baptist preacher can do. Uh, so I've got my robe shirt on. Uh, which is, you know, that's, that's all the Baptist preachers can do. 
I'm a former uh, pastor at Uptown Baptist Church. I pastored there for 15 years, and uh, just a week before the COVID shutdown, uh, I resigned from my position as pastor. We're still members of the church uh, because God has led me and given me a new assignment, uh, which you heard about a moment ago in my introduction. Uh, I'm now the, the chief strategy officer, co-founder of Together Chicago, which is a ministry that exists to reduce the gun violence and increase thriving communities. And so we're grateful for uh, churches like yours all over the city and even some around the country who partner with us, pray for us, and who volunteer with our, our ministry. Uh, you can go online, togetherchicago.com, and read more about uh, our ministry and, and how you might pray for us and be a part of what God is doing in and through us to reduce the gun violence in our city and increase thriving communities. And so, uh, Ray and Judith, if you're listening, if you're watching online, uh, we are so glad. We look forward to having you in our home in a few weeks for, uh, for dinner. And so glad you had an opportunity to take a sabbatical uh, this year. Uh, pray with me one more time as we open the book of God to the people of God. Father, we love you today. Uh, thank you so much for the privilege that is ours to be here together, as well as joined online, digitally, uh, to commune together, uh, to pray together, to fellowship with one another, uh, to worship you through music and now through the preaching and teaching of your word. We ask that you would Anoint us to hear the word of God and then empower us to act on the word of God according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since March of 2020, a few new words have entered into our vocabulary and most of us are really sick and tired of those words. In the last 16 months, our global community has witnessed the unimaginable, catastrophic loss of human life and economic vitality because of those words and the meaning behind those words like pandemic. It is a calamity on a scale which we cannot quite comprehend, can we? Think of the millions of survivors who are groping to pick up their lives and pick up the pieces of their shattered lives. They cannot fully understand the, the enormity of the destruction of life and livelihood. Even the media networks struggle for words to characterize this devastation, in part because it's still going on, rapidly spreading in some countries, like India and, and some of the African nations. If we watch the nightly news, our senses have been overloaded with daily video footage which dump more horrendous scenes and statistics on our already overloaded hearts and minds. Uh, we were, we're left, really left with more questions than answers, aren't we? Uh, whether you've suffered much or you've suffered little, this pandemic has all of us asking one or more of the following questions, if we're honest. And here they are. If there is a God, where was he when this virus began to spread? If there is a God, does he really know all things? Is he all powerful and all loving like the Bible says he is? Where was God when this wretched disease took the lives of 
both parents leaving dependent children as orphans? Where was God when the government was deciding to shut down our economy, wiping out the life savings and entire livelihoods of so many, many people? Where was God when millions of children were forced to remain at home and try to adapt to a less than ideal education system? And if that wasn't enough, we also suffered through a year of tragic killings of unarmed black men and women at the hands of police which then set off nationwide protests and mass destruction of property and looting of merchandise. If God is all-knowing, if God is all-loving, why does God allow evil and the resulting suffering in this world? Many years ago in the aftermath of the Asian tsunami that killed millions of people and destroyed tens of thousands of homes and businesses, one of our young children, who was about six at the time, said to me, Daddy, why did God let the tsunami kill all those people? Were they bad people, Daddy? My son sounded quite like some of Jesus' own disciples in that passage of the gospel in John 9, which was read a moment ago. You see, it is human nature to ask such questions. There's something inside of us that longs to make sense of such horrific events. And so this morning, this morning as, as, as we all struggle to make sense out of the, the madness, I want to remind us that there is a sovereign God in the midst of the calamities of man. And he has not left us alone with our unanswered questions burning in our hearts. He has given us his word, and more importantly, he has given us himself for such a time as this. And so my aim this morning is to help the church to think and to act biblically in reference to God's sovereignty in man's calamity. And so if the church is to have the powerful and effective impact that God intended for us to have on a lost world, then we must understand God's sovereignty and respond properly to man's calamity. So please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. It was read for us a moment ago. I want to read it again in your hearing and let your eyes fall on these words because they are profound and provocative. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now this brief passage of scripture informs us of two evils. Two evil events from two separate categories 
or sources. First, the evil that flows from the human heart. Uh, Pilate, the brutal Roman ruler who was given responsibility of peacekeeping and collecting taxes from the Jewish state, he abused his power by executing some of the Galileans who had come with their offerings to worship God. And so the first source of evil depicted here is the cold and wicked heart of Pilate that perpetrated evil towards others. We call that moral evil. Imagine you come here today to worship God. And at the time for the offering, before you take out your phones and you click uh, the offering button to give or before you put a check or cash in the offering bucket, the mayor of Evanston pulls up with police and riot gear and lops off some hands and some heads in the midst of that wonderful, beautiful act of worship through giving. That's what happened to these Galileans spoken of in this gospel text. They had come to worship God and had brought their offerings and Pilate chopped some heads off and mixed the blood of their offerings with their own human blood. And so this, the first source of evil depicted here is this cold, wicked heart of Pilate that perpetrated evil towards others. That is moral evil. But secondly, the evil resulting from natural disasters. And this first report of evil came from a few people who were gathered around Jesus for a Q&A session. Again, they were trying to ask the question. They were trying to understand, just like you and I are trying to understand, what has happened in these last 16 months and why? Jesus told them about a tower that had come crashing down upon innocent bystanders who had no warning to flee the impending disaster. Insurance companies today rightly refer to such incidents as what? Acts of God. They rightly recognize that behind all natural disasters which are out of man's control is a sovereign God who is always in control. Now what first strikes me about this passage is not so much what is written, but is what is not written, what is not pictured here. Jesus is not shocked or distraught. Jesus does not weep or offer words or acts of compassion. Jesus does not organize a rescue effort. He does not rush out to offer a helping or healing hand. Perhaps the time for that kind of compassionate response had already passed. We don't know. But now listen to the harsh words of our Lord Jesus once again. In verses 2 and 4 and 5, in the absence of the typical compassionate response, Jesus' words of rebuke and warning are even more pointed. He says, can you believe it? I want you to put yourself in that audience 2,000 years ago when this subject of natural disaster and human wickedness is being discussed and you're grappling with the horror and the shock of it and trying to make sense of it 
And Jesus looks you in the eye and he says this, do you think all these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you all repent, every one of you, unless you repent, you're going to perish just like them. How'd you, how's that? How'd you like to hear that in the time of your trying to process this calamity and evil that is happening around you? Maybe you knew some of those people who died by the natural disaster or at the hands of a wicked man. Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, I can already hear the skeptics. Maybe some of you are like this. You might not say it out loud, but you're thinking this. Well, that doesn't sound very Christian. Am I right about it? You hear the words of Jesus and your, your immediate response is, that doesn't sound Christian. But I got some news for you. If Jesus said it, it's most Christian. If Jesus said it, it is the most Christian thing that anybody anywhere could ever say. By the way, some of you may have heard Pastor Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. In it, he dismisses the notion of eternal suffering and hell. And yet, that's precisely what Jesus is saying when he says, you will all perish. He's not talking about a simple fleshly human death. He's talking about a death, an eternal suffering after death. After the natural human death, he's talking about an eternal punishment in hell, which is why he connects repentance to this word of perish. You don't need to repent if this life is all that there is because everybody's going to die. So there's no need to repent to keep you from dying an earthly death. Jesus is making the connection of the 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 death that is to come after the first death, which is the eternal separation from God in hell. And so not to believe in hell would be to diminish the holiness, the justice of God, and the veracity of the words of Christ. And so you say in your skepticism, as I sometimes say in my own skepticism, where is God's mercy and grace and love? Where is it? Well, God's mercy, grace, and love have been gloriously displayed on that cruel cross. As our wonderful music minister said here just a moment ago, and as this uh, tent behind me flies off in the distance, thank God it was not like the Tower of Siloam and nobody perished. But that is precisely what happened in Jesus' day to that tower of Siloam. It just fell unexpectedly. And people actually literally lost their lives. I think God did that just for effect. To help us really grapple with his word. God's mercy and his grace and his love have been gloriously displayed on the cruel cross. And that's why rejecting Christ comes at such a wretched and eternal price of eternal punishment. Someone has said that the world invites us to the big silver screen on which 
images of passion and romance or are projected. And while we observe them, Hollywood and Netflix tells us this is love. But God invites us to the foot of the cross on which the bloody half-naked body of the God-man named Jesus was crucified. And God tells us, no, 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 this is love. God's mercy and grace and love can be seen and heard through his church around the world wherever the gospel of Christ is preached and demonstrated. You see, there is no mercy. There is no grace and no love for those who die without Christ. It's too late. And so Jesus' words to all who are still alive, still capable of hearing, are words of mercy. These are the words of grace and love because they warn us to flee the impending calamity of eternal hell while you still have today. For tomorrow is not promised. So when calamity strikes, don't miss God's shout for repentance. The great British author C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasures and he shouts in our pain. Pastor John Piper of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, he's one of my heroes. He wrote a profound article years ago about that dreadful Asian tsunami. And I want to share some excerpts with you from this article that Piper wrote so many years ago. He said, quote, from pulpits to news programs, from the New York Times to the Wall Street Journal, the message of the tsunami was missed. It is a double grief when lives are lost and lessons are not learned. Every deadly calamity is a merciful call from God for the living to repent, just as Jesus said. Weep with those who weep, the Bible says. Yes, but let us also weep for our own rebellion against the living God. Lesson one, weep for the dead. Lesson two, weep for ourselves. The point of every deadly calamity is this. Repent. Let your hearts be broken that God means so little to us. Grieve that he is a whipping boy to be blamed for pain but not praised for pleasure. Lament that he makes headlines only when man mocks his power, but no headlines for 10,000 days of wrath withheld. Let us rend our hearts that we love life more than we love Jesus Christ. Let us cast ourselves on the mercy of our maker. He offers it through the death and the resurrection of his son. This is the point of all pleasure and all pain. Pleasure says... God is like this, only better. Don't make an idol out of me, I only point. Pain says, what sin deserves is like this, only worse. Don't take offense at me, I am a merciful warning. End quote. Listen now to the Old Testament prophets of God. First from Amos. God is speaking to his own people who are mired in rebellion. In Amos chapter 4 verse 10 Listen to this. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. End quote. Did you notice the personal pronouns in the text? 
Who do you think they refer to? God. This is God speaking, saying, I did this. I did that to you, to your army, to your people when you were in your rebellion. What was God after? He was after their repentance, their returning from their rebellion and coming back towards him. Second, from the apostle John, God is speaking to those who will experience his wrath during the great tribulation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 16, verse 9, we read this. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and to glorify him who had control over the plagues. God? If God controls the plagues, does he not also control the wind, which we just experienced a moment ago? Doesn't he control the lightning and the rain, which we've had a lot of and more to come tomorrow and the day after that? Does he not control the tide and the heat and the snow? And we can go on and on. Can you believe the hardness of heart displayed both by God's people in the Old Testament passage as well as in the book of Revelation in the New Testament passage? I believe we're living in the last days, but let there be no misunderstanding. There's a time and there's a place for compassionate rescue efforts. My whole ministry is based on responding to the violence in Chicago. Just yesterday, I buried one of those eight that was slaughtered in that mass shooting a week and a half ago. And so I know what it is to be at the funeral and those who are weeping and wailing and and we, we helped to assist this poor family who couldn't even afford to put their child in the ground, who was lined up and shot in the back of the head, execution style, with eight others. And so, yes, we respond with compassion. We must do that. Yes, we, we respond with love and care and concern. We must do that. But let us not also respond and calling people to repentance and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a time and a place for grieving the wounded and the dead. There's a time and a place for helping survivors of tragedy get their lives back to some kind of normalcy. But if we're not careful, we will miss the will of God with all the focus on suffering humanity. And so while we donate our time, talent, and treasure to help heal and restore, we must also speak the truth of the gospel in love. We must call sinners to repent. We must proclaim life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in love. And if we don't, nothing else that we do really matters for eternity. If we don't, we would have missed a great opportunity to rightly represent God and make sense of the sin-sick world in which we live. And so in, clo in closing... Let me give you a few pivotal questions to ask and to consider in the privacy of your own hearts. Number one, why does God allow evil resulting in suffering? Here's the answer. God sovereignly chose to make a universe where his intelligent beings would be able to exercise a free will and thus be able to rebel against him if they chose to do so. God didn't make us robots 
that would obey every command that he gave. Because love must have a choice. He made us with a free will of our own that we might choose to love him and submit our will to his will and to do what is right. Evil originated with a rebellious angel named Lucifer, now known as Satan. Evil entered the world when the first couple, Adam and Eve, was also rebelled against God by disobeying his commands. So the whole world order has been spinning into chaos since then. We can read more about that in the whole book of Romans chapter 8. God's plan to conquer evil was revealed in the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Calamity is a call for repentance, a turning away from rebellion and false gods or idols, turning towards the true and living God. Number two, who does God allow evil to strike? Answer, the just and the unjust. Just like the Bible says, God allows rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Even his own children. Remember the book of Job? Have you read Job lately? That might be a good place to camp out as you process the current calamities that we have experienced. And C.S. Lewis's classic Wonderland tale entitled The Chronicles of Narnia. Do you remember little Lucy? She's my favorite. Lucy, she asked the talking fawn about the ferocious lion named Aslan. Aslan ruled this fantastical world of Narnia, the world that Lucy had stumbled upon through the, the closet and was exploring. This lion, as you remember, Aslan, he represents God. And do you remember Lucy's question to the fawn? Lucy wanted to go close to Aslan to pet him like she would a pet dog or cat. And so she asked the fawn, is he safe? Is, is Aslan safe? To which the fawn answered, no. No, no, Lucy, he's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but he is Good. So what should our response be to human suffering caused by catastrophe or by the hands of evil men? We must have a loving compassion to relieve the suffering, physical, spiritual, emotional. Faithfully share the gospel in word and deed. We must have a humble attitude and posture before God in repentance. We must have a renewed commitment to remain faithful to him in worship and service, just as Job, in his incredible suffering, remained faithful to God, though his wife said to him, curse God and die, you fool. Job remained faithful, though even his closest friends, those three good-for-nothing friends that he had, accused Job of bringing all this pain and suffering on himself. Job remained faithful to God. And he remembered how Job's story ended. God blessed him twice as much as he had before than he had in the past before his pandemic of suffering came upon him. And so, yes, we must also confess confidence in knowing, knowing God and being intimately known, loved and forgiven by him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, God is sovereign. 
He is all-knowing, and He is all-powerful and all-loving. Let us ask God to help us look for ways to glorify Him in all things, no matter what happens, even in tragedy, even in suffering and death. Remember that this world is not our final home. Remember that this body in which we live is temporary. We will get a new one at the resurrection. And I can't wait because I got some issues going on. Some over 50 issues with my hip and my knee and I got issues. Some of you are raising your hands and saying, preacher, I'm with you. I got some issues. Thank God this ain't the only body we get, we get to have. Take care of it, but it's going to break down at some point. It's going to let you down at some point. But hallelujah, praise God, we're going to get another one at the resurrection. And so our soul will reunite those of us who are saved. Our eternal souls will unite with our new bodies in the day of resurrection when Christ comes for his church again. So let's spread the news so that those others who are not yet saved, who think this body is the only body they have, and who think this world is the only world that there is, Let's get out there and remind them that, no, there's another world coming, and this is how we can make sense of all this pain and suffering that is happening out there and in here. The answer is Jesus. The means is the gospel. Let's proclaim it in word and deed. God bless you.